Good morning, Hope. Okay, so you're, you're, the room has changed since last I was here. You got lights, you got awesome artwork. This is really, really a, a cool space. It was cool before, but it just went up a couple notches on the coolness factor, at least in my opinion. So um, I'm super excited to be with you. Uh, it's, it's been a while since I have uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to be here and to, uh, to bring the word, so uh, excited to be here. If you're new today, just, just kind of, you know, in case you want to know, uh, Hope Covenant is part of a larger church family called the Evangelical Covenant, and we break the country uh, into uh, regions, or we call them conferences. So you're part of the Pacific Southwest Conference, which should be up on the, there it is, up on the slide. So that's California, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Hawaii. And so I, I serve as the associate superintendent, so think bishop, but no power. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of what I, I, I get to be, as Doug said, I get to be the pastor to pastor, but I also uh, get to help churches throughout the conference. My uh, specific region that I focus on is uh, about five counties in Southern California and the entire state of Arizona. My boss, Paul Wilson, gets Hawaii. I'm really a little annoyed at that, but that's, you know, he's the boss, so he, he uh, gets to uh, decide where he goes. So super excited to be with you this morning. Uh, a little bit about who, uh, who I am. I do have a family up here on the screen. This is my family. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, they are uh, Josh, Sarah, and Ben are my kids. My wife, Karen, uh, Josh, uh, 24, Sarah, 22, Ben, 19. So we are empty nesters. You know, people ask us, are you, are you just, is it so hard to be in? No, 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 it's not. It's, it's, I, we love our kids. It's actually, it's, it's pretty, it's an exciting time. It's a new stage in our life. So uh, my wife, uh, when I was uh, early in this job, which does require a significant amount of travel, uh, she called me in a weak moment when I was out of town, and she said, I found a dog. And, and I'm like, I didn't know we were in the market for a dog. I have successfully avoided the dog for, you know, 29 years of our married life. And she's like, I, I, want, I, I want the dog. So this is Daisy. I call her Daisy the Destroyer. <laughs> and she's a nice dog. However, uh, the first time I met her, uh, it was in the morning. I took her out to do her business. And before I could close the pool gate door, dun, 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 into the pool goes Daisy. This is October. October, and I go over to the pool, and there's Daisy slipping to the bottom of the pool. And so I jump in to save the dog. The pool is like 56 degrees, and I had my iPhone in my pocket. Cha-ching! Suddenly, this dog bought at a discount is, no, is now, you know, upping its net worth significantly. Uh, the next week, uh, my son, uh, Ben, and I put together the dog uh, pen. So when she does her thing in the house, it's only in a specific pot, spot of the house. And we assembled this thing uh, that uh, next evening. It's like midnight. We're asleep. There's a knock at the door. It's my son, Ben. He goes, Dad, I cut myself. I'm like, why are you shaving at midnight? No, no, no. I forgot about the daisy pen. I tripped over and I sliced my eye open. So had to go to the emergency room at midnight. Cha-ching. Some weeks later, uh, our oldest son, Josh, is dog-sitting Daisy. And he sends us this photo of his nice new watch. Said, Dad, I can no longer watch Daisy. It's just too darn expensive. 
So we have made some sacrifices for Daisy, uh, some, some financial sacrifices. And we make, you and I, we make sacrifices all the time, financial sacrifices for our pets, right? For our pets, for uh, recreation, uh, for shiny new things that we must purchase, uh, for our homes and our cars and our kids and perhaps our parents. We make financial sacrifices. But many times, a few of us find it difficult to make sacrifices for God. Why is that? Uh, this is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. The season of Lent is the 40 days uh, from Ash Wednesday to Easter uh, that we celebrate preparing our hearts for the ultimate sacrifice that God made on our behalf. So I think it's significant today, today we talk a little bit about what it is to sacrifice. And when we begin to understand the sacrifice God made, the sacrifice we are called to make, then I believe we begin to move into a lifestyle of generosity. And so that's what I want to talk about today, is developing a lifestyle of generosity. Would you pray with me? Holy God, I am so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be here with my sisters and my brothers at Hope Covenant Church. And I pray, God, that uh, in this moment, people would understand that they are uh, here on purpose. No one is here by accident, but by divine appointment. So, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that we would hear your word today, and, God, that you would move me out of the way that you might speak. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I was a Cub Scout. Uh, my mom was our den mother. Uh, pack 110, Den 4, by the way. Uh, and uh, we often would have our Cub Scout gatherings at our home. And uh, my mom would always make treats at the end. And uh, she uh, made cupcakes this one time. I love cupcakes. There was an extra cupcake. And I knew that if any of my uh, Cub Scout brothers found out that there was an extra cupcake, someone would get it. And so I hid the extra cupcake. And specifically because I knew there was one particular Cub Scout named Dwayne Nault. Dwayne Nault was like 10 times the average fourth grader, and he ate himself in body weight daily. And so I knew he would get this cupcake. And so I was super excited. We were almost done with our Cub Scout gathering, and I went to check on the cupcake, and it was gone. I look over at Dwayne Nault, big giant Dwayne Nault, and he had cupcake crumbs all over his face. I'm like, oh! He got my cupcake. Why was I being so stingy on the extra cupcake? I mean, think about this. My mom and I made the cupcakes. As soon as all my Cub Scout brothers left, we could make more cupcakes. So why was I so stingy on this whole cupcake thing and not generous? Well, I think in part it's because I'd kind of forgotten that, you know, my mom would make me more cup. I forgot how, how generous my mother was. And I think that when we try to wrap our minds around generosity, and in particular if we struggle with generosity, I think a lot of times we forget how generous our God is. So that's why, in part, we should be generous. Number one, we ought to be generous because God is generous. And I think that we need to uh, recalibrate our brains and our hearts so that we can see and understand the basis for our attitudes about generosity. That is, 
God is incredibly generous. I mean, think about this. Uh, God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator God of the universe, puts on human skin. He comes down to earth. He gives up temporarily pure, unadulterated fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit, and he comes to run around with us in the messiness and brokenness of our world. This is what God does. Why? Because he is incredibly generous to come and live with us. While Jesus walked the earth, he demonstrated unbelievable generosity. I mean, he always gave people more than they were looking for, more than they wanted, actually. When Jesus encountered a human need, he always gave them more than they hoped for. I mean, think about this. Uh, the disabled paraplegic, he receives restored mobility and a relationship with God. Uh, the woman, uh, the hemorrhaging woman, was healed in body and restored to dignity in her community. When he put on a feast of, of fish and chips, remember this? <laughs> there were seven Donkey cargo baskets of leftovers. There were leftovers. And another meal, Jesus not only acted as Passover host, but when the meal was through, he took on the role of household slave and washed the feet of his disciples. Throughout scripture, we find that God is a giver. You ready for this? He gives strength, Psalm 29, 11. He gives the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, 4. He gives grace and glory, Psalm 84, 11. He gives what is good, Psalm uh, uh, 85, 12. He gives perseverance and encouragement, Romans 15, 5. He gives life to all things, 1 Timothy 6, 13. He gives us the victory through Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. God is incredibly generous. You see... I think oftentimes you and I, we confuse generosity as a financial issue. It's not really a financial issue. Generosity, I hate to break it to you, is a gospel issue. Generosity is a gospel issue with financial implications. Did you hear me? Generosity is a gospel issue with financial implications. In order for us to be truly generous, I think you and I have to understand the gospel. Okay, little Bible trivia here. What is the most well-known scripture passage in all the Bible? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. God gave his only son. Generosity, you see, is a way of reminding others and ourselves about the generosity of our God. This is why generosity is a gospel issue that has financial implications. Now, to many folks who live in the world's economy, generosity doesn't really make sense. Uh, why should I be generous when, when I, I live in this, this world economy? Well, it only makes sense if you understand that God has a totally different economy. Do you know that, Hope? Okay, I'm glad. Are you, are you with me? Are you awake? Okay. God's economy is totally different than the world's economy. And I think a lot of times, you and I, people who follow Jesus, people who are seeking after God, people maybe who are here this morning wondering if God exists, 
We don't realize that God gives us a different and alternative economy. But oftentimes, even when we love Jesus, even when we've been in the church for many years, we get sucked into the world's economy and we forget that God has his own economy. You see, the world's economy tells us stuff like this. It says, keep all you can, spend all you can, borrow all you can. If you want to be prosperous, this is what you must do. But God's economy is different. God's economy actually says, listen, actually says, if you want to be prosperous, be as generous as you can. I'm not making this up. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If we believe that we live in God's economy, and we believe that when the writer of Proverbs says that we will prosper, then we have to understand that this is not a maybe, it's not a perhaps, it's a you will. If you decide today that I am no longer going to live by the world's economy, I'm going to live by God's economy, and you are generous, understand the truth of Scripture will impact your life and you will be prosperous. You see, we who are the Christian community, and that's us right here, we who are the Christian community, we get to live temporarily in this dominant culture, in this dominant culture that wants to kind of press us into its mold. But we who live in the Christian community, we get to offer an alternate community. Did you know that? That's us. That's you. We get to offer the people in Chandler and say, you know what? There is one way to live, but there's another way to live, and it's the Jesus way. And we're going to show you the Jesus way by living completely different lives. So every morning you get up, guess what? You get to live this alternate community. You get to live it out loud so other people can see it and experience it and go, oh, I guess I don't have to live the way everybody else is living. So hope, here's the cool thing. Every, every morning you wake up, you get to be countercultural rebels if you want to. Because that's what you're doing. When you live by a different economy, when you live by a different culture, then you get to be a rebel in the dominant culture and you get to show people this is the Jesus way. You see, being generous is a reasonable response to what God has done for us. But there's another reason that we ought to be generous. You ready for this? We ought to be generous because we are rich. Now, wait a second, Pastor Pat. You must be talking about Bill Gates or Oprah Winfrey or the Sultan of Brunei. No. You. You are rich. I am rich. Now, here's what I mean by this. In a global context, that is taking all humanity who live on this planet we call Earth, in a global context, we are some of the richest people in the world. In fact, if you go to one of my favorite websites, it's called globalrichlist.com. Yes, that does exist. Look it up. It's really fun. Uh, it gives you the opportunity, if you go there to this website, here's what it looks like. You can plug in your annual gross income and find out where you stack up in the as the richest uh, person in the world. It will rank you, literally rank you. You can find out where you are. So just a little survey here. Uh, how many, or let's just ask it this way. What do you think is the gross annual salary 
of a person who is in the richest 1% of the world. Go ahead, holler out. A million? 30,000? What else? 10,000. 10, That's a little low. 50 million? Okay, it's all over, right? Who knows, who knows what it is? This actually will tell you if you earn, you ready? You ready? If you earn gross annual salary, if you earn $32,500 a year, you're in the richest 1% in the world. Let, just, let, that, let that sink in. If you earn $32,500 a year, you're in the richest 1%. In the world, we are rich. Just to, just to give you perspective uh, on what that means, it would take the average laborer in Ghana, Western African nation of Ghana, 200 years to earn that same amount. 200 years. Your monthly income, if you make 32.5, could pay the monthly salaries of 143 doctors in Pakistan. In one hour, you make $16.67. Meanwhile, the average laborer in Indonesia makes 39 cents in the same time. Why be generous? Because we're rich. We are rich. Okay, let's try a little experiment. You guys ready for a little experiment? Okay, everybody grab your wallets or your purses and hold it in your hand. Okay, I, this is my wallet. It is a rubber band holding my credit cards and my... <laughs> cash together, but this is my wallet. I got tired of sitting on it, so I put it in a rubber band. Okay, so everybody grab the wallet. Hold it in your hand. Come on. Now, I don't want to see anybody massaging it or anything like that. That's a little weird. Just hold your wallet or your purse in your hand. In your hand. Hold it tight. Okay, now you're going to have to trust me a little bit on this. Okay, uh, I've been assured uh, by your pastoral staff that the ushers have bolted the door, so nobody's leaving. <laughs> what I'd like you to do, again, this is, you know, do you love each other? First of all, do you love each other? Yes, right, right, okay. What, what I want you to do is take your wallet or your purse, whatever you have your money in, and pass it to the person on your right. And now give like you've never given before. Okay, go ahead, pass it back, pass it back. Make sure, make sure all your money's intact. Hey, it's, 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 a, it's a whole lot easier to give when it's somebody else's money, right? Okay, well, get this, get this. It is somebody else's money. It is somebody else's money. It's God's money. It's God's money. It's easier to give when it's somebody else's, but guess what? It's God's money. This is another reason why we ought to be generous, Okay? We ought to be generous because it's not your money. It's not your money. Scripture is so clear. Here's what it says. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Leviticus 25.23, the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants. You're my tenants. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Well, you know, Pat, I work hard to produce wealth. No, God gives you that ability to produce wealth. For him, for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. You see, a generous giver recognizes that God owns everything. We're just his managers, that's all. 
We get to manage what he allows us to have in the years that we have on this earth. People who understand this don't cling to possessions because they don't believe that they truly own them anyway. See, a generous giver's goal is to put God's money where God wants it. And God's very clear about that. But listen, I want to entice you further because I want you to know that there are reasons that we ought to be generous, but there are also amazing benefits to being generous. The first is this, being generous benefits you personally. Listen to Luke 6.38. This is Jesus. Listen to the master teacher as he says this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is God's economy. This is God's economy. Your gift will return, pressed down, shaken, running over. Now, this was a common, if you don't know, this was a common first century marketplace metaphor commonly used with grain, uh, the grain market. Pressed down, shaken, so that I get more bang for my buck. God does this consistently in a way that blesses us. So just in case you don't really understand the whole grain thing, um, I thought... Uh, I thought potato chips would work well for this. So um, I am a sucker for salt and vinegar Costco potato chips. I can't get a small bag. I got to get the jumbo bag. But you, you notice that when you get a bag like this, and this happens every time to me, I've talked to the people at Costco, but if I open it up I, and I take the top of it, I realize it's really only half a bag. So if I was in first century Middle East culture, I would take my, my, uh, my Costco salt and vinegar potatoes and say, hey, hey, how about a little more in the, in the bag here? How about, and, and, and when you put it in there, I'd like you to kind of, you know, settle it and shake it down. And I would actually like it to be overflowing into my lap because later this afternoon when I finish this bag, they will all be in my lap anyway. No, 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 I'm not sharing. No, no, no. I have, I have my own limits to generosity, all right? So, yeah, thanks, thanks for calling me out, though, on that. So, you see, if, if you lived in Jesus' time and you bought enough grain, the seller of the grain would actually push and press down into your container as much as he could. He would shake it around so it would settle and pile on more, and then... In those days, people wore garments that actually had a front pocket, and so anything that would overflow into that pocket, you got to keep too. This is God's economy. When you are generous, God is going to be generous back to you. Now listen, 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 listen. This is not prosperity doctrine, okay? That is, uh, you know, if you give uh, $10, you're not going to get a million dollars back. We're talking about God is going to prosper you and be generous to you in all kinds of ways, relationally and physically, uh, uh, in your marriage, in your family. God is going to, and financially, of course, but not just that. He is going to prosper you in all ways. Amen. Now listen, now listen, if this is, and I always say, there's, there's probably somebody here for the first time going, oh, I showed up and it's money Sunday. Great. <laughs> And, and, and just, just in case you, you think that this is all that Hope Covenant talks about, um, it's not the, it kind of it reminds me of, of this uh, story, actually, of a guy who was checking out a church on the first time, and uh, he was there with his family. On the car ride home, though, 
man, he just was not happy. He was like, you know what, that, that the sermon was boring and the, and the worship was really not that great and the people were unfriendly. It was too cold. I mean, just complaint after complaint after complaint. And the oldest son in back seat was listening and then very astutely said, well, dad, you got to admit, it, it was a pretty good show for a buck. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. So listen, being generous has personal benefits to you, but it also benefits us globally. Listen to this. It also benefits us and the world globally when we're generous. And, and you know, I don't just preach on generosity when I'm at somebody else's church, just so you know. Um, I, I spent the last, you know, 28 years of my life in the churches that I was at when I had the opportunity to preach. I love talking about generosity and about finances. I never apologize for it because this is one of the topics that Jesus spends a lot of time talking about. In fact, the kingdom of God is the only thing that he speaks of more. So if this is important to Jesus, it better be important to us. And we as Jesus followers, we have to get it. If we have any hope to impact the world, we have to get this. And Christians truly got it. And this is hard for me to even say, probably hard for you to hear. If Christians really got it, and when I say Christians, I mean across the nation, I don't care what denomination, what church you're in, but if Christians across the nation got it, then they would give more than 2% a year. That's what the data tells us. That church-going Christians give on average about 2% of their income. So, so let's just dream a little bit, okay? Let's say that uh, I could wave a magic wand and suddenly every believer in the world, or let's just say in our nation, decided to give, let's just pick a number, 10% of their incomes. <laughs> if they did that, there would be an additional $165 billion to put into ministry. An additional $165 billion. Now, here's just a few things that the church, the, the church across America could do. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable diseases in five years. No more global hunger. Can you imagine that even happening? It could happen. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. Eliminate. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. No more water or sanitation issues ever, ever, ever again. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. And guess what? We still have $112 billion left over for other ministry. Wouldn't you like to be known as the generation that eradicated these things? Well, it starts with us. I mean, you could say, well, you know what? All those churches in the Midwest, they don't do their job. Well, <laughs> it starts right here. It starts right here. Being generous benefits us, the world, globally. It also benefits us communally. Hope Covenant has been a generous church for years. So keep it up. 
I, I love that you're, you're initiating this refugee ministry with this wonderful family that's coming from the Congo. Uh, I want you to know that your church is generous to our conference and denomination. Over the years, you have been responsible for planting at least 35 churches since I've been around. Now, you may not know that. You're like, well, how, does that, how did that work? I had no idea we did that. Well, when you uh, give to our conference, our conference takes those dollars and puts them into ministry and helps churches like my friend Victor Pena, who is up right now worshiping up at 32nd Street and Thunderbird. It's our first Hispanic, Spanish-speaking church plant in, uh, well, I think forever. It's the, it's the only one that I'm aware of. Right here, right here in Phoenix. You're a part of that. You are helping them financially get their feet off the ground, up and running, and reaching a whole community of Spanish speakers who are not yet in church. You see, when you are generous, you benefit the world, but you also bring incredible benefits right here to the community. So what do we need to be generous? I mean, isn't that really the question? Okay, all this stuff, I get it, I understand it, but what, how do I get there? Well, I think for starters, we need the right heart. When we think of generosity, we might look at the, the size of the gift that somebody can give, like, well, they can give so much more than I because, you know, they make more. Or we might look at what we're giving to, well, that seems like such a noble project, but that's not the way that Jesus measures generosity. Jesus measured it by a radically new standard. He measured it by the condition of your heart. Of your heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says this, if I gave everything, this is, this is Paul talking, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I've gained nothing. So it's not about how much it's not about what you get. It's about the condition of your heart. Where's your heart at? Is your heart full of love? You see, a generous giver experiences the joy of giving. It's not done begrudgingly. It's not like, oh, man, I could spend this money on so many other fun things, uh, so many cool toys that my neighbor has but I don't have yet. No, a, a, a right heart has joy because of what you're doing with your stewardship, what you're doing with your finances, but you need something else to be generous. You need the right mind. You need the right mind. Uh, some people ask me this question, Pastor Pat, just tell me, how much should I give? And the answer, the short answer is, well, you should give 100%, because that's what Jesus says. Luke 14, says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And at the same time, we recognize that God graciously lets us enjoy some of the material resources that he entrusts. Remember, we're stewards, we're managers, that he entrusts into our care. You see, I think for most of us, following after Jesus is kind of a three-part uh, scenario. First, our hearts are converted, then our minds are converted, and then our wallets, our pocketbooks. I know that's how it was for me. And for most of us, probably. I think the last thing we need to be generous is the right benchmark. You see, we don't give what's left over at the end of the month. Well, I got this much, so I guess this is what I'll give. It's not commensurate with how much you like the preacher or how good the music is. The benchmark 
Again, understanding that everything is God's. There's a place that we start, and that is 10%. Here's what Malachi 3.10 says. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There will be enough food in my temple, translation, church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out my blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the what? Test. Test. God actually says, hey, don't believe me? Go ahead and test me in this. You see, the starting point, and I think this is where obedience, this is where it begins. Not where it ends, this is where it begins. Where trust begins. And I know that some people, they, they think about this, and they think about generosity, about 10%. Man, that is a, you don't know how much I make. That's a lot of money, 10%. Why does he require so much? But when we begin to understand generosity, when we begin to understand what a lifestyle of generosity and how generous God is, the question then becomes, man, why does God allow me to keep so much? Answer, because he's so generous. That's why. Because he's generous. So what if, hope covenant, what if we actually took God at his word? Now, I know if you've been a church person, you've heard Malachi 3, 10, 8 zillion times. You know what it says. But what if we actually took him at his word? What if he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. People say, well, do I give off my net or off my gross? Well, it depends. Do you want to be blessed before April 15th or after April 15th? <laughs> What if we did this? I mean, it. Just, just. What if we all? What if we all said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I've been given permission by the elders. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't go rogue on you, uh, but I've been given permission by the elders to, to to challenge you with this. If you have never tithed off your gross annual income, or if you haven't done it for a while, then I'm going to make you an offer based on this verse. If you will tithe off your gross income for the next 90 days. Hope Covenant Church will give you all your money back at the end of 90 days if you do not believe that God has blessed you. I mean it. If you have never tithed or if you haven't tithed for a while, I want to challenge you to take God at his word, take the next 90 days, give 10%, to the local church, your church here, for the next 90 days, and if you do not believe that God has kept his word and blessed you, then Hope Covenant will give you all your money back. So Pastor Doug's going to explain kind of what what this looks like. All right, thanks, Pat. Why don't you stay here, though, right? All right. So if you are somebody that's going, you know what, I do. I I want to test God in this. I want to be a part of this tithing challenge. I'm going to ask you to reach into the chair pocket in front of you, pull out one of these Connect cards. And this is how we're going to do this so we can uh, follow up with you. And we would ask you to put your name on the card. And then just in this blank down here on the bottom of the card, just write tithing challenge in there. And you can drop that in the offering buckets when they go by. Or you can put them in. There's a box on the way out the door. Uh, You can put them in there as well. But um, we're going to go in a moment into our time of um, giving our offering. So we have saved that for after the message this week. 
Pat wanted me to take three offerings and just kind of see how they went, but I said, well, we'll just, not true. We'll just do one. That's not true. So um, if you will do that, then at 90 days, uh, someone from our elder team or our staff will just follow up with you and say, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Has God blessed you? How has he blessed you? And just check in with you and see how it's going in that area. So feel free to just even think about that right now. Some of you, I think, are going, you know what? Yes, I'm going to do this right now. And as a sign of commitment between you and God on this, go ahead and put your name in there and write tithing challenge on the bottom. Uh, Pat, I'm going to ask you to uh, pray us into our offering, and our worship team is going to play a song. So ushers, if you would come, we are going to receive our tithes and offering this morning. Uh, some of you don't carry your checkbook or cash with you. There are online options to give as well. That's easiest access through our website. Uh, but Pat, will you pray for us as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings? Absolutely. Let's pray. Uh, Holy God, we're so grateful for your word that it is so clear uh, on both how we're supposed to live generously, but also so clear on uh, how much you want to just pour out on us uh, blessing and prosperity uh, in all parts of our life. And so, God, uh, I pray for my sisters and my brothers. I pray for myself that you will just continue to, to help us to raise the level of generosity in our life. Help us to be a beacon of light to this world, that there is another way to live, a different economy that you, God, have authored yourself. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.